Hello and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are happy that uh, you could join us today. There's our <laughs> some of our paraphernalia that we uh, normally have on screen. There we go. And if this is your first time visiting us, then welcome. We're happy to have you here. And if you're wondering about the background, uh, it will be, this is a, uh, artist rendition of the trash compactor from Star Wars. And today we are going to be elucidating the four walls, which are slowly closing in on humanity. The uh, they're briefly discussed in the in the uh, description for this video, and in one way, shape, or form, all four of them had significant moves forward this week, in one capacity or another, and because it so happens that these four walls or these four uh, pillars of humanity's false awakening happen to be a part of our book that we've been working on. And advances were taking place this week and everything, so it just seemed like the appropriate topic to discuss today because they are probably the four major societal forces acting, acting upon humanity, certainly in the West. And because the West represents the pinnacle of global civilization at this time, these are the four forces that are contributing to what we refer to as the Great Awakening. And we've talked about this notion of the Great Awakening in the past. But today, we wish to specifically focus on these ideas of awakening <clears throat> and how these different societal forces are essentially pitching or selling their own version of awakening. Each one has a very different idea about what awakening is. And 
that idea is impressed upon those who adhere to these societal movements, to those who follow these movements, and indeed get themselves wrapped up in these movements. And these movements in our imagination represent the four containing walls of that scene, that famous scene from Star Wars, of the trash compactor, as those walls slowly close in on our heroes. <clears throat> and we can see that. And this week we saw advances by various of the various forces applying greater pressure upon humanity. And in no uncertain terms, greater pressure to awaken negatively. Because that is a concept which, sadly, you will not hear just about anywhere. And you certainly won't hear that term in the context of any of these movements. None of these movements, not the not artificial intelligence uh, and the transhumanism that goes along with that. You won't hear it in conspiracy theory. You won't hear it from the woke crowd and the woke culture wars, the social justice warriors and all the rest of it. And you won't even hear it from the new age gurus and guides and healers and light workers and and that entire camp is completely and totally ignorant of the reality that one can awaken negatively so in a broad sense what does that mean what does that mean for us what does that mean for anyone really Before we get into it, allow us to share the link if anybody wishes to jump on and participate uh, today. You're more than welcome. The link is on the screen. It's also in the chat. <clears throat> Perhaps <clears throat> we begin by... clarifying what just what do we mean by awakening because the word is overused we all know that no matter where you turn these days there are people running around who claim to be awake they claim to have awakened they claim some form of enlightenment and indeed in ai the and the transhumanists they proclaim the dawning of a new age and the next evolution of human civilization the integration of advanced ai into the human psyche in some capacity whether that's cybernetic implants or whether that's the uh, terribly fantastical notion of downloading one's consciousness into a machine 
and thereby living forever or achieving some modicum of immortality for the ego mind, which is what they call consciousness. <clears throat> but we see people calling themselves awake who are little more than conspiracy theorists. They have been so-called red-pilled. That's the preferred term among conspiracy theorists. And we're not using conspiracy theorist here in a derogatory sense. And we're not using conspiracy theorist here in the sense of doubters or the so-called not-yet-red-pilled, <laughs> the, the, the sleeping, uh, naive, sleeping masses, so-called, who have not yet, who are still, who have taken the blue pill, so to speak. We're not saying that any of the theories that they expound are correct or incorrect. It's just the fact that they look upon themselves as being awake, as having their, the, having been awoken to what they believe is reality and the facts of who or what and how humanity is being enslaved. In a very real sense, they believe that they have awoken in the matrix, that they are awake and that they see the matrix. They see who's behind it. And everybody else, just like in the movie, are still asleep. And that's their worldview. That's how they see the world. <clears throat> so for them, being red-pilled is as simple as, quote, doing your research. Going online and going to the alternative sources of history, for instance. And the alternative media, alternative journalism authentic journalism, they would say, and to dig up the facts and dig up the lies and dig up the cover-ups and all the rest of it. And if you do so, like many of these individuals have, and many of these individuals, make no mistake, they have devoted their lives to this endeavor, to uncovering the secret hidden history of humanity and the secret truth about the secret cabal that controls every, everything and everyone, and whether it's the uh, international banksters, the, the global elite, the various different groups that have various different names, the Bilderberg group, uh, the Rockefeller family, the Rothschilds, and uh, so on and so forth. And they could bring up their charts and they show how everything is connected to everything else. And they dedicate and devote their lives <clears throat> to this endeavor. And they believe that through this process of intellectual sleuthing, of historical, societal, economic detective work on the internet, primarily, that they can awaken, and more importantly, that they can awaken others. They can red pill others so that others too will know the scope and breadth and depth of the conspiracy enslaving humanity. Next, we have the woke. 
and they too believe that they are awake, that they are enlightened, and that they are proceeding, they are living their lives, and that their worldview, their ideology, and their attempts at cultural impact and shifting the cultural landscape and changing discourse and changing language and changing laws and societal attitudes they believe that they are on the right side of history and that theirs is an enlightened worldview their eyes have been opened to the great oppression of yes oppressed groups and oppressed peoples and oppressed genders and oppressed sexuality and oppressed races and on and on and on it goes and their eyes have been opened to the evils of the white heterosexual male patriarchy and that there it is their job it is their mission in life it is their purpose for being to open the eyes of others but more importantly to indoctrinate them to win them over and and get them to join their group and this for them they believe they can awaken others just like they are awake and a lot of that wakefulness that they feel on a personal individual level comes from deep deep emotional reactions to what they believe to be violence against them violent oppression They have very real and unquestionable emotional reactions to the world and to events in their lives. And that to them is being awake. That's what makes them feel awake. And their anger and their outrage and their 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 sadness their melancholy and all of the other negative reactions that they have toward these injustices or injustice as they would call it or see it that invigorates them that vitalizes them energizes them and cause causes them to act in the world and so they believe themselves to be, as they call themselves and as others call them, woke activists. The word itself, these are the woke. These are the ones who are awake. So socially, culturally, economically, even as they seek to do things like tear down every tradition, every historical fact or in any case historical narrative and every institution including the institution of marriage the institution of the nuclear family the institution of 
heterosexuality, biology itself, um, fair, fair sport, and and perhaps most significantly, uh, tear down the institutions of formal religion and the great world religions, which they dubbed to be great monolithic forces of oppression, forces of the patriarchy. But they're enlightened, right? They're, they're woke, they're awake. And when you, well, we'll get into that. And the fourth and final group is the new age. And it just so happens that serendipitously, Eckhart Tolle showed up on our YouTube feed just, just this morning. We ne never, or we should say very, very, very rarely will we watch a video of his. We don't particularly know you know, why he popped up other than serendipitously, the fact that we were going to be speaking about this topic this afternoon. And a video of his popped onto our YouTube feed in which he talks about what it means to be spiritually awake. What, what is a spiritual awakening? And of course, Eckhart Tolle is one of the many revered, idolized gurus of the new age. He is uh, since Oprah is one of the kingmakers of the new age, Oprah made Eckhart Tolle what he is today. Because don't know if it was the power of now or a new earth, can't remember which book it was, which ended up on Oprah's reading list. But if it wasn't for that fact, Eckhart Tolle would be nowhere and he would be a nobody. But he was selected, either via the publishers or, you know, via, via Oprah and her, uh, her capacity to uh, influence. And in this video, Eckhart Tolle is talking about paying attention to yourself. And that paying attention, and when you experience these moments of lucidity, this is what spiritual awakening is. And you will, you will hear all sorts of versions throughout the New Age. People talking about themselves being awake, having had an awakening, or, uh, or some version of it. And when you dig deeper into what all of that means to them, what's the, in the final analysis, what's it all for? What does it all matter? You end up with things like manifesting desires, the coming global mass, global awakening, and 
a whole string of beliefs which negate and avoid the actual work required to awaken the consciousness. In the New Age, or around the New Age, uh, is the term spiritual bypassing. And it's a concept New Agers themselves will throw around. It was a term that they will throw around all the time. And they will talk about integrating your shadow and doing all sorts of, you know, doing shadow work and um, eliminating the ego. I mean, New Agers will talk about eliminating the ego. Some of them, not all of them. Because New Age is a, such a, it's not a formalized religion. It's not a formalized dogma. It has characteristics that are uniform throughout. But there is no set formal uh, belief system. But of all these four forces, these four walls that are enclosing and encroaching upon humanity, New Age is the one which explicitly talks about spiritual awakening and spirituality which makes it the most troublesome of these four. And the most dangerous from an individual's perspective. But all four of these phenomena lay claim and proclaim a kind of awakening, their own version. And on some level, one could argue that, well, you know, that it could be a stepping stone to genuine awakening. And we don't deny that. And we'll get into how and why that is. The trouble is, like all such stepping stones, it's very enticing. These groups are designed to be tempting and to be very, what's the word, sticky. They have gravity to them. They have a social aspect to them. And in a very real way, they have a cult-like element going on and a religious fervor to go along with it. And anyone who has ever found themselves embroiled in a cult or embroiled in something like the flat earth movement, which is an aspect of conspiracy, that the whole spherical earth is a great conspiracy that's been enacted upon humankind. So those who are in the flat earth have a kind of fanatical devotion to that belief. It's a cult-like uh, collective of individuals 
who believe absolutely in flat earth and that's their their worldview i mean literally it's their worldview and on the on in the woke camp to speak your mind and speak against the party line can get you canceled ostracized and to be canceled by the woke mob could potentially result in the loss of your livelihood loss of your ability to work in your industry anymore if, for example if you work in media or entertainment or you're an author or so on if you are considered a liberal or considered part of that woke crowd if they step over a line they cross a line that you yourself will not cross and you refuse to cross that line along with the rest of them then they will turn on you and the knives come out and they are absolutely and totally merciless because you are a traitor to the cause and a traitor to the ideology you are the worst kind of heretic and you must be eradicated and your voice completely silenced completely stifled and stymied <clears throat> the new age takes a uh, in our experience they don't have quite such a radical and uh, openly vindictive and destructive sort of reaction theirs is much more on a personal level and uh in terms of the group of ai and transcendence or transhumanism um there's really we don't have enough uh direct experience uh interacting with individuals like raymond kurtzwill for example but our intuition suggests our gut feeling is that uh they have no sense of soul or higher consciousness or anything beyond the physical to them consciousness is a product of the brain and that's why they believe in something like transhumanism and they believe in because they don't believe in immortality on a superior plane so they have to achieve it on the plane of physicality or in the in the in the world of uh digital phenomena in a virtual reality to them any of them who subscribe to for example uh simulation theory they might hypothesize that all of this is just an elaborate virtual reality running on a machine somewhere because only a super artificial intelligence could create such a virtual reality as the one that we are in 
And so the logical conclusion of human evolution is to achieve that level of artificial superintelligence. And that through that portal, through that means, lies the key to immortality of the human being. So you see, it's a, it, it's a kind of religion, but it's a secular atheist religion, like the woke religion. A quick comment here from Azazel. He asks, how are you today? Uh, don't ask. <laughs> it's been a rough, it's been a rough week. Uh, but thank you for asking. Uh, we're, we're doing the best that we can under the circumstances, which that's really the most that anybody can do under any circumstances, the best that we can. Our choice of this image behind us, this trash compactor, a trash compactor takes garbage, refuse, and does exactly what the name suggests. It, com it compacts it, right? If you've ever seen one of those machines in a, uh, a scrap yard that can take a fully formed automobile and crush it down into a two foot by two foot uh, cube. So two by two by two uh, cube of metal and plastic and rubber. It's a concentration. And it's applying pressure and force to take a bunch of disparate, like garbage, just a bunch of random refuse and shape it and mold it into something This is how we see these four different elements applying pressure on humanity at this time, because each one concentrates individuals' focus and attention on their own egos and the desires, the fears of their egos. And anything that concentrates your focus, your attention, your concentration, right? That's the word, concentrate. On your ego, not for the sake of observation, but for the sake of indulgence. Concentrating on your egos for the purposes of identification, for the purposes of attachment. That concentration, if we allow it to continue and we keep going along with it and 
willingly and unwittingly giving ourselves to that process of doubling down day in and day out on this false self and its false beliefs around a false awakening and how to awaken and a belief that we are awake when we are not. How can that lead to a genuine awakening? That's a concentration of hypnosis that is solidifying and shaping and forming a super concentrated mass of ignorance in our own psyche, which we identify with, which we attach to, and which we call being awake. And the more we pour ourselves into a mass of ignorance through a process of, of hypnosis, and the more we double down on the false self, the I, who is the one that's identified with all this, the one who believes that I am awakening, I am awake, I've been red-pilled, I have the answers and all of them don't, but I know the truth, or I'm going to be transcended, I'm going to become a cybernetic organism, or I'm going to live forever. The more we pour our genuine selves into that false sense of awakening, the more we move toward the possibility of awakening negatively, of an inverse awakening through the ego. The metaphysical scientific process of that uh, comes to a head in the new age practice of manifesting desires and pouring our heart and soul into that which we want. Fame, wealth, success, whatever. Whatever it is that we are trying to manifest and attract into our life, manifest in our life through the law of attraction and through visualization and through pouring our energy into it. The, the, the new age preaches this openly and across the board. The very individual that we spoke of earlier who was talking about awakening, Eckhart Tolle, he has videos about how to manifest what you want. 
Meanwhile, his video on awakening was little more than a video on clarity. On how to clear your mind so that you can what? So that you can focus and visualize on what you want. Well, none of that has to do with awakening consciousness. None of it. It simply has to do with using the consciousness you have and instead of allowing your egos, your busy mind to rule you, to instead use your mind, allow your mind to be used by dominant egos to fulfill their desires. And the more you pour yourself into that and give yourself to that process, the more you will awaken as those egos. <clears throat> the more you will move towards what we call a black magician. And beyond the level of black magician, a full-blown awakened demon. Because consciousness is the currency of the internal worlds. Consciousness and the sexual energy. These are the currencies. And our egos covet them relentlessly. <clears throat> and as we've mentioned many times, their divinely ordained purpose is to keep this humanity asleep and enslaved. The process by which we awaken negatively has to do with how we identify and what we attach ourselves to via consciousness through the application of the sexual force, which is the creative force. You see, what they don't tell you about manifesting desires is they say, well, you're just manifesting what you want, right? So you visualize what you want and you pour your sexual energy into it. You, you, you will yourself and you, you pour your emotional energy, your desire, you pour it into that whatever that object of your desire. And the more you pour your conscious awareness and your, your sexual energy into that, the more you will attract it and you will manifest it. You will create it in your life because you're working with the creative force. But here's what they don't tell you. What is it within you that actually wants that thing? Because if you were truly awakening,
you would not be identifying with any desires. If you were really awakening, if you were in touch with your higher self, your innermost, your innermost would not be directing you to pour your vital energy, your sexual energy, and focus your consciousness on some outward desire. On the contrary, the more you awaken, the more you let go of the need, of the, of the desire for worldly things. And you surrender. Awakening is a process of psychological death. The death of the ego, the death of desire. The death of identification and the death of attachment. The process of awakening sees all of those phenomena weaken as our awareness and our connection to our higher self strengthens. Because more our consciousness, more of our consciousness is liberated from the prison of the egos and becomes available to our true self and to the enterprises of great pith, Shakespeare said. <clears throat> great pith and great worth, our purpose for being, our life's work. We have more energy and more attention to focus on what we're really here to do. When that energy and when that consciousness is liberated from all of our many egos, many desires, and many attachments and identifications and beliefs and on and on and on it goes. That's awakening. Awakening is a process of psychological death. How many times have you ever heard anyone in any of those four groups Describe it that way. Even if they talk about ego death, most of the time, the, many people in the new age believe that their ego is already dead. They will tell you that they have no ego. Oh, I have no ego. Really? Because the I, who makes the statement, I have no ego, is an ego. And that's the, and that's the, the trick, the rub. That's the, the, the secret trap that all of these different societal movements suffer from. Is that all of them are movements of the ego. They're all created by ego. They're all, they're, they are all serving the purpose of the Black Lodge. To keep humanity asleep. To keep humanity ignorant. Even as they feel, as they are led to believe and made to believe that they are awakening. Because 
if you are charged with the task of enslaving someone, what better way to enslave them? than to make them believe that they're free. What better way uh, what better way to keep them asleep? And to make them believe that they're awake or that they are at the very least awakening. And that if they keep doing what they are doing, they will inevitably awaken. And not only will they awaken, everybody will awaken. The world will awaken if only they keep pushing externally this modality, this worldview. All they have to do is give themselves and devote themselves to this worldview. And not only will... They awaken that they will awaken others and that there will be a grand global awakening or this grand evolution of humanity. That's just just waiting around the corner. If only they can achieve a critical mass, a critical mass of followers, of believers. Then in a kind of precipitous hundredth monkey sort of mentality, and if you don't know the 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 hundredth monkey uh, study. It relates to, well, an island somewhere in the world where they they had these uh, different communities of monkeys that didn't interact with one another. And if monkeys on one side of the island learned something new, as soon as a hundred of them learned how to do it, the monkeys on the other side of the island would also be, begin demonstrating that knowledge, that that they also had learned it, but they hadn't learned it. They were, a, they were on opposite sides of the island, and they didn't interact with each other. But once the hundredth monkey had learned the skill on one side of the island, then the population on the other side of the island, it too developed the skill and developed the behavior. And this came to be known as the hundredth monkey phenomena, uh, related to what they call the morphogenetic field. And this observed phenomena among monkeys is one that has uh, been extrapolated onto humanity and human beings such that people truly believe that all, we, all they need to do is establish a certain critical mass of adherence, of followers to a specific worldview. And then, like dominoes, the rest of humanity will just will just go along with it, will just be magically transformed. And frankly, on the level of mechanical nature, on the level of the morphogenetic field, It may very well be possible for a belief system to take hold that way. And for what well, we, we see it all the time. We see it in cults. We see it in uh, groups of that nature. We see it in the echo chambers online. But we also see it in 
phenomenon such as mob mentality. Now, mob mentality is a phenomenon, or if you've ever been to a rock concert, or if you've ever been to a rally, certainly anybody who ever attended uh, the rallies of the, uh, the Third Reich during the Second World War, or prior to the Second World War, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, probably upwards of even a million people at a rally with a charismatic speaker who was able to rally an entire nation and move an entire nation to tears, to action. How was he able to do that? It is something that is truly a phenomenon to witness and phenomenon to be a part of. If you've ever been to, again, a rock concert or a rally or any, or if you ever go to one of these mega churches, Right? There's, a, there's a reason why the mega churches are mega churches. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people. Because the, the evangelical pastor knows the power of that. And he's able to move, manipulate, sculpt in real time the morphogenetic field, the energy, the attention. And the creative energy, the passion, the vitality of the crowd. And that vitality is absolutely sexual in nature, that energy. Look at rock concerts. Look at um, the phenomenon that was born with Elvis Presley. Before Elvis Presley... Uh, there was no such phenomenon of young women uh, screaming hysterically and fainting and at a, at a musical event, at a big band concert or, or some such thing. There, that phenomenon just didn't exist. It wasn't until Elvis Presley came and took the various... Uh, musical foundations that he combined country music and uh and black soul and combined them and presented it as rock and roll along with the uh his famous hip wiggle And you had an auditorium filled with very sexually energized, and at that time, right, sexually repressed young people. You had a lot of pent-up sexual energy. And Elvis was channeling his creative sexual energy through his music and through his physicality. <clears throat> so naturally... The result was that it became a kind of sexual experience for these young women. And they, they, they turned hysterical. It's the only way to describe it. And it wasn't just Elvis. I mean, later it was the same phenomenon with the Beatles. And women were absolutely losing their mind, these young girls, these young women. And 
throughout the history of rock and roll, musicians in general, but rock and roll in particular, the the number of women who threw themselves, literally threw themselves at uh, musicians backstage. I mean, it's incalculable. But rest assured that that, uh, what was happening there on an energetic level, on a metaphysical level, was in part because of this phenomenon known as the morphogenetic field and the hysteria that happens when a skillful entertainer or a skillful speaker or performer is able to manipulate, channel, and focus that energy. because it's sexual energy. And you can watch uh, Benny Hinn or what's the other fellow's name? I always forget his name. Uh, the mega church guy, Joel or anyway. Can't remember his name, but the but the point is is that it's the same kind of hysteria and fanaticism that comes over uh, people at a sports in a sports arena when the home team gets a goal or wins the game in the final seconds of the match, and everybody completely loses their mind. It's those individuals don't behave that way if they're at home sitting on the couch watching the game on television because there's only one body there. But as soon as you get five or six or maybe a dozen or two dozen of those people into a sports bar watching the same game on the same television and they're all rooting for the same team, then you have a little mini kind of explosion of hysteria. But of course, it can't hold the candle to what people experience in the stadium or in the arena, a packed arena for the final game of the, of the season or, or the, the, the playoff game or whatever the case may be. And the home team wins and it just, the stadium explodes. That's sexual energy erupting. Because it's, it's all focused toward a common goal. And that is how cults and movements work to achieve the kind of mass hi uh, hypnosis and mass indoctrination. But that indoctrination is happening on the level of the animal humanoid. 
It's happening on the level of the human-like machine. It's not happening on the level of a human being. It's not happening on the level of awakened consciousness. It's sleeping consciousness. It's the dreaming human being, the animal that's getting caught up in the morphogenetic field and is being imprinted upon by the morphogenetic field. Just like the hundredth monkey. You can't awaken consciousness this way. It doesn't happen. It cannot happen this way because consciousness is above. It's in the sixth dimension. And the morphogenetic field, no matter how you slice it, is the fourth dimension down. Because it's the lunar astral plane that is caught up. These people are not conscious. The women who are having, who are in hysterics at a rock concert, they're not conscious. They're not aware of themselves. They're completely losing control of themselves. The same that the people in, thank you, Benjamin. Uh, the people in Joel Olstein's mega church, thank you, I couldn't remember, I always forget his name, for whatever reason, I forget his name. Um, people in Joel Olstein's or Benny Hinn's mega church, when he comes to them, he says, you are healed! And he, and he, and he you know, and, and, they, they, and they faint, and they pass out, or they have this religious experience, or they have start having convulsions and seizures. That's not awakened consciousness. They're not having an awakening. They're not awakening their innermost intimate Christ. They're having a hysterical episode of, of, of energy and of, of ego taking hold of their physical body and their mind and, and, and creating a mechanical, hysterical, you know, experience. Let's pause just for a minute here. Benjamin Raphael has a couple comments. I heard that phenomena started when a specific tuning of frequency was played that can cause mass hysteria or mass psychosis. They were experimenting with the effects of specific frequencies to control the mind. Like during COVID, there was a mass formation uh, psychosis due to fear mongering by the media. This, uh, referring to the frequencies, uh, we have not heard this applied specifically to the phenomenon that we're speaking of. But guaranteed that back in the time of Elvis and the time of the Beatles, the venues they would have played and the ability to set frequencies at a specific frequency this might have been true in the recording studio, but live was a different matter. Uh, so this, we don't attribute, we don't attribute it to this particular frequency, and we'll tell you why. Because <clears throat> whatever, because we know that in recording they switch the frequency to something that's an unnatural and disruptive frequency, as opposed to the natural frequency. We always forget the numbers, but there's a, there's a natural frequency that is more pleasing and more uh, harmonious. And then there's one that is agitant and disruptive. And they specifically change the frequency to the more agitant, disruptive one. But that's in the recording industry. But 
<clears throat> if you go to a concert where it's not rock and roll or punk or metal or any of these other modalities of music, there were at that time concerts taking place that were other forms of music, older forms of music, et cetera, et cetera. And they did not elicit the same kind of hysteria from the audience. And you can't say that, you can't say as an absolute matter of fact that, <clears throat> that uh, the hysteria is, is a, a cause of the frequency modulation of the music. Because that would have been the same in the same venue, different acts coming on one after another. They weren't retuning the frequency modulation from one act to another act. That was not happening. So the other things that were happening was the performer themselves and the music and the lyrics and the performance. Because again, you can go to a convention and the same venue, the same sound system, two speakers, and one will put the audience to sleep, and the other one will have the audience wrapped around their finger. It's not the frequency modulation of the sound system that's doing that. <clears throat> but we do take your point about that they did mess with frequencies uh, in terms of recording, and they did choose a frequency which is more disruptive to the human system and well they have their reasons for doing that <clears throat> but these sorts of experiences these sorts of animal, visceral, energetic, mental and emotional experiences can be, can have a very powerful effect on individuals. <clears throat> and that emotional and visceral and intellectual those experiences <clears throat> can at times be overwhelming but more importantly, they become fodder for a belief system to be woven around those experiences. And that belief is, I am awakening, or I am awake, or I must be awake. How, how, else, how, else, can I how else can I explain the experience that I just had? So it leads to, for example, people in the new age who 
will make claims about people having epileptic seizures or people who are autistic or anybody who's on the autism spectrum, they will say that actually those people are enlightened. Autistic people are enlightened. We don't understand them because we're unenlightened. You know, we're not yet awake. But the autistic people are actually secretly, they're, they're enlightened masters. Because look at how they can play music or look at how they can remember this. Because, you know, the, you have the phenomenon of the autistic savant. We've heard every conceivable version of that. That 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 um, autistic children are actual. They're they're indigo children. They're rainbow light warriors. They're all sorts of, you know, this that or the other thing, and how and how in certain native traditions they're considered to be sacred and and all sorts of uh, all sorts of whatnot. And then of course the individuals themselves, they will go to you know. Uh, go to Reiki or go to yoga or, you know, they have their crystals, they have their various different paraphernalia and they will perform actions and their own little rites and rituals with their new age paraphernalia to elicit a visceral uh, energetic emotional, intellectual response, a mental, emotional, visceral, physical response. And they will naturally attribute to those feelings and those that experience, they will naturally attribute to it some sort of spiritual significance. Because after all, their intention was to have a spiritual experience. And one of the greatest crimes that the New Age commits against its own followers and against the world is this notion of the power of intention. Now, the, the term itself, the phrase itself, was coined by Dr. Wayne Dyer, who is you know, one of these new age gurus. Now, ironically, he never used the phrase to mean intention as it, as it's meant in the Bible, right? The, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. He's, he, he never meant it that way. He meant it as the will of the being, what the being intends what the being wills to be. But he put it in the context of the power of intention. Now, he said that intention is not something that you have. It's something that you connect to. But remember, the Black Lodge, the mind, the ego, it's all about superficiality, and it's all about cherry-picking and taking things out of context and then running with them. So, of course, nobody in the New Age understands or comprehends what Wayne Dyer was actually trying to say. They just stripped away the surface, the power of intention, and they took it and they run with it.
So it's now it's my intention. Wayne Dyer said that intention is everything and the power of intention and the power. And of course, Wayne Dyer got into the whole manifesting thing as well. So, you, you know, it's, it's hard to say for sure. Was, was he a willing and witting accomplice to all of this? Or is he just another useful idiot being exploited by the Black Lodge to do their dirty work? It's hard to say for sure. All we know is that the power of intention, and you talk to a new age person today, and they will tell you that karma is all about intention. It doesn't matter what results, it doesn't matter what the results are. What matters is what you intended, what, your, what was your intention, that's what matters. Well, that is exactly 180 degrees from the facts. And it's, a, it's diametrically opposed to the age-old adage, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. To the new age people, no, 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 no. Intention is everything. Intention is everything. And that's all that matters. You see, they believe because of the power of manifestation and the power of intention and the power of the law of attraction, all they have to do is be positive. And all they have to do is believe in something and want something to be and they can make it happen. So the grand global awakening of humanity, that's going to happen because they intend it to. And it's all about what they want. And then they're pouring these positive vibrations and raising their vibrations. And everything is this very mechanical, this very mechanical idea that you can, as an ego mind, raise your vibration to awakening. And yeah, you can do that. And you can awaken as and through your ego. Because it takes effort. And it takes ongoing repetition. And channeling and pouring yourself into that. Just like it takes channeling and pouring yourself into manifesting desires. And it's that focus on feeling, focus on, on emotions and on, and reducing uh, spirituality to experience. And so occasionally, one of the reasons why people end up in the new age is because they have genuine spiritual experiences and genuine moments of awakening, or we might say moments of clarity. And in those moments of clarity, they can be very profound and life-changing experiences. Absolutely. But in their desperation, to make sense of those experiences, 
and try to get answers as to what the what the hell's going on with you know what the hell's wrong with me what the hell's going on with me because some of those experiences can be very frightening to someone who's has no background or no framework with which to contextualize and understand those experiences a spiritual awakening a moment of awakening a spark of genuine spiritual experience that can be terrifying it's terror and it's always terrifying to the ego always until the ego decides to appropriate it and it and it weaves the story around it and a bunch of belief systems around it including i am awake i must be awake i'm enlightened now because i had this experience and that's the kind of information they get from the new age because everybody in the new age who's had experiences like that they all believe that they're awake now because they've had and they had an awakening <clears throat> it's like they all believe themselves to be olympic swimmers because they went and they swam in the swimming pool once so they're now oh, i'm an olympic swimmer why well i swam in the olympic swimming pool didn't i I must be I must be an Olympic swimmer. Why else would I have swam in an Olympic sized swimming pool if I wasn't an Olympic swimmer? You see, the ego mind very quickly and very easily rationalizes and 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 leaps and makes leaps of logic. Why else would I be well, I mean I wouldn't have had wouldn't have been in an Olympic swimming pool if I wasn't an Olympic swimmer. I wouldn't have had a spiritual awakening if I wasn't a god already, if I wasn't a Buddha or a master or something already. Uh, Derwin makes a comment here about the Tower of Babel and uh, egos trying to reach divinity. And yeah, this is absolutely correct. That's That is a direct allegory they tried to reach heaven they tried to build a tower right to heaven the other um allegory related to that is um it's prometheus yes prometheus if we if we have our names correct if we have our mythology correct it's prometheus who makes wings out of wax and then he, because he, he wants to fly to heaven, and then of course he flies too close to the sun, and the and the and the wings melt, and he falls back to earth. It's the same. It's the same analogy. It's the same allegory. And yeah, it's absolutely what you're seeing. And all four of the phenomenon that we're talking about. It's it's you can think of them as the four walls of the of the of the trash compactor. You can also think of them as the four cornerstones of the new tower of babel because each one believes that it has the answer to utopia each one believes that it has the answer to the future of humanity and each one promises a better future for humanity ai promises transhumanism 
the next evolution of humanity and how and how AI is going to make all of our lives better and it's going to free up all this time and energy and effort for us to do what we really want. And then all we're, all these AI slaves are going to be working for us, I guess. Robots, since they're going to do all the heavy lifting. They're going to do all the heavy work. And the AI super intelligence is going to solve all our problems. So we're going to be living in a technocratic utopia, according to the transhumanists and the ones who are pushing AI. And we're going to have, you know, implants in our brain, right? So you won't have to have you know, f messy devices and things like, no, no, you can, you can connect directly to the internet, to, uh, to, uh, virtual worlds. You won't have, you won't need any like virtual reality helmet or any clumsy, uh, controllers or anything else. No, you can just, you can just pump directly, uh, or sorry, uh, be, uh, connected directly into Xbox or PlayStation or whatever, or, or Nintendo network and, uh, or world of Warcraft or your favorite MMORPG or the metaverse or whatever it is, whatever they come up with. And you will be fully immersed in that 3d virtual reality by direct, uh, uh, Neuralink, right? That's the name of, uh, Elon Musk's, uh, company, right? Neuralink. The one that that's doing the uh, the chip implants, um, and they're they're selling this, they're pitching this as a technocratic future utopia. But anybody with any semblance of conscience knows that what they're pitching is a technocratic dystopian nightmare, where what what little fragments of humanity we have left are going to be completely consumed and hip and what little consciousness we have available to us what little free consciousness we have is going to be completely hypnotized and made ignorant by the technology and we will become like drones we just become like biological machines true cybernetic but we'll become the borg and as that's happening on the technological side, the same thing ha is happening socially through the woke movement, because the woke movement is neo-Marxism. It's communism by any other name. That's all it is. It's a collective hive mind mentality and it's equality of outcomes. Uh, it's the elimination of the meritocracy, the elimination of the individual. Everything is going to be based on identity groups. It's, but it's, it's also uh, severe tribalism. Even as they claim equality for all, they're creating these ultra uh, primal, savage uh, tribalism. That's an essential component of the whole woke movement but if you marry these two things together that technocracy and that woke movement i mean you're going to end up with a true uh, technocratic dystopian nightmare who knows where that's going to leave well 
But we know on some, a lot of the new agers are going to say no to all of that. And what are they going to do? They're going to go off into the woods. They're going to go off into the mountains. They're going to go off into the deserts, and into the wilderness. And they're going to create their intentional communities. And they're going to have their crystals and do their psychedelics and all the rest of it. And they're going to have their, their psychedelic experiences. And, you know, the elders among them are going to start naming themselves shaman, or, you know, or elder shaman, shawoman or whatever. And they're going to go off and, and do their, they give themselves back to nature and they're going to have their spirituality. They're going to believe that they're awake and they're one with nature and they're going to be having their psychedelic experiences and their dream quests and their vision quests and all the rest of it. I'm going to be doing their ayahuasca and, and everything else and their energy work and all the rest of it. And they will be, they will end up the um, the aboriginal people hundreds and thousands of years from now they will be the aboriginal tribes with their shamans and their ayahuasca and their 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 tattoos and their scarring and their you know and their faces and their bodies covered with piercings and all the rest of it just as you see all the aboriginal people around the world today are all uh, remnants of high civilizations that fell. <clears throat> Derwin says, no one can force someone to self-observe. They think they are already saved. Uh, for God will send them a delusion <clears throat> that they shall believe that they shall believe a lie. Even if you tell someone to self-observe, even if they observe themselves, if they observe their mind, they can observe their mind. It's, uh, observing, observing yourself doesn't mean you're awake. Doesn't mean you're awake. What are you observing? And are you identified with what you are observing? How are you reacting to what you are observing? You can be observing your mind and your emotions. And your mind and your emotions can be telling you A, B, C, X, Y, Z. If you react to that as if A, B, C, and X, Y, Z are both true, and that X, A, B, C, and X, Y, Z are who you are, you are identified and attached to A, B, C, and X, Y, Z, then what good was your self-observation? If you don't practice transformation of impressions, the impressions we receive, including the impressions of our mind and the impressions of our heart and the impressions of our body, thoughts, emotions, sensations, how do we transform those impressions into knowledge, into gnosis? So again, transformation of impressions, you will never hear this spoken of in the new age. The new age takes at face value your experience, whatever that experience is. 
And people like Eckhart Tolle say, oh, no, no, just, just quiet the mind. Just quiet the mind. That's all you need to do. Just quiet the mind. And just connect to pure bliss, pure calm, pure quiet, pure spaciousness. And he has all these wonderful words and euphemisms. Interestingly enough, if you see Eckhart Tolle uh, lecturing, if you see him speaking, it is incredible to observe his body language. He, he's hunched over like this. He's, he's hunched over. His head, is, it's like he's a hunchback. It's like his, his spinal column is, is, is curling in. It's like he's trying to, it's like he's doing, it's like he's doing abdominal crunches while he's speaking. Which means he's all up in here. And which means he's done nothing of the actual work to awaken because his posture is so terrible. And the, and the spinal column, when you do the work to awaken and you're working with the chakras and you're raising the, the kundalini and you're practicing pranayama, you, you're not hunched over like this. You don't have a posture like that. And when you speak, you speak from the heart. It's not by accident that we put our microphone at the level of our heart. But Eckhart Tolle doesn't speak from the heart because he's a, he's, a, he's a new age guru. He's there to make lots and lots and lots of money. He's there to gain new followers. But he's, a, he's just like any other individual who's who's, you know, like these, these villainous characters that, that, that they're hunched over and they're... It's just, watch a video of his next time. And, and feel into it with just the energy of it. And, and you'll, you'll immediately, you'll, if, you're, if you're sensitive to energy and you're, you can receive it objectively, you can you you will feel the 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 energy that's that's being exuded there and so the energy that's being stimulated just like the rock and roll singer is creating a kind of hysteria is getting everybody to like 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 him lean forward and become fascinated become mesmerized and hypnotized by what he has to say We have to do something about this chair of ours because it's it's squeaking and creaking and uh, it's uh, we don't know if you guys can hear it but we can hear it and it's <laughs> it's making us self conscious about the about whether or not you guys can hear this uh, squeaky chair. Derwin follows up here and he says, "True, I forgot to add that knowing that you are not those three traitors." And to transform those impressions, the mind loves to create conflict and keep us agitated. Yeah. The three traitors, right? Judas, Caiaphas, and Pilate, and the three murderers of Hiram Mabif. But they're also the three Furies, the three witches of Macbeth, uh, and they go on and on and on. 
right down to the three hyenas in The Lion King. The mind, the heart, and the body. The Oh, and keep in mind that there's four bodies of sin. The mental, emotional, physical, and uh, vital. Because the energetic body, you can feel things energetically as well, not just physically, not just physical sensations. So in the vital body as well, that's why they're called the four bodies of sin. They're the four bodies where the egos are most active. Benjamin has uh, three uh, comments here. Let's let's see if we can uh, get to them. Then not to get off the path too much about Prometheus, there's a part left out that Prometheus flew too close to the ocean and his wings got wet, so he fell. But what does that say about the sun if not, if not to uh, wonder Prometheus would go to and fro, to and fro the sun, I mean, and what would be the implications of the meaning? So, Anytime in any mythology, you're talking about water and fire, we're talking about sexuality. And if you fly too close to the sun and your wings melt and you fall, that's because you were attempting to practice sexual alchemy and you fell. You you had an orgasm. Likewise, if you f- fly too close to the ocean and your wings get wet and you fall, it's because the same thing happened. Because now you were absorbed in the waters of sex. So water and fire... Water and fire relate to the waters and fires of sexuality. The sexual, the, uh, the sexual waters and the fire that's in the waters. And that's a universal symbol throughout all esotericism and all religion. So that's why Jesus walks on the water, for example. He is in command and control of his sexual waters. He walks on the waters. Moses parts the Red Sea. I mean, we have lots of cases... Um, in scripture and mythology where you have gods and goddesses commanding the waters or commanding the fires. But in the case of Prometheus, right, he's trying to be like the gods, but he has these wings of wax. So he's trying, he's, he's, Prometheus doesn't fully appreciate or fully comprehend and he is an artisan, he's a scientist, uh, an engineer, and an, and an artisan. And he tries through the ingenuity to be like the gods. And again, like the Tower of Babel, they want to build a tower to the gods, but that tower will collapse because it's ultimately a tower of flesh. And the flesh cannot ascend. And the personality cannot ascend. And the ego cannot ascend. So mystic pride is 
the folly of all spiritual seekers. And that's a an almost universal, universally held condition of people in the new age is they they suffer from mystic pride. They believe that I, meaning themselves, are going to ascend. And they believe that 100%. And they talk about, oh, I don't have an ego anymore. I don't have ego anymore. And I am going to ascend. Oh, you're right, Benjamin. It was Icarus <laughs> with the wings of... <laughs> you know what? We should just keep all of our... Uh... Uh, we should just keep all of our uh, uh, use of proper names out of these live streams because we are so terrible with names. We cannot for the life of, I cannot for the life of me remember proper names. I don't know what it is. I can't remember them. They just do not stick. But you're right, Benjamin. Icarus was the one who flew close to, too close to the sun. So Prometheus stole the fire from the gods. That's what Prometheus did. That's what Prometheus did. He stole fire from the gods. And Benjamin says, awesome, thanks for the, uh, clarifying it now. So you see, there's a reason why we don't talk about, we try not to uh, talk, or we don't do lectures on ancient scripture and mythology and everything else, because it's like we have, we're handicapped, we're specifically handicapped, so we can't talk about those things, or we shouldn't talk about those things. Or we we should definitely not uh, pretend to be an expert on those things because uh, that's not what we're here to do. We, there's lots of other people who can you you can who can uh, talk to you about uh, the mythologies and what they mean and all the characters and so on and so forth. Darwin says we don't want to create a gnostic. I that's right. Uh, we have to we have to really be cognizant of pride. It's very subtle. Um, But it's it's very subtle, but it's um, what's the word that we're looking for? It's so common. It's so common because it's the first thing. That the ego will do. It will appropriate. The ego will... For instance... Let's say... You... Are in meditation. And you receive... Let's say you receive some information in meditation or some insight, a eureka moment. And perhaps you were working on a problem or you had a conundrum or some dilemma. And then all of a sudden you're in the bathtub or 
you're washing the dishes or you're washing your car or you're just walking in the woods and all of a sudden, bang, the answer just comes to you. Boom. Or you're in meditation and you have this flash of insight and all of a sudden, this problem that you had been working on and suffering from for months and months and months, all of a sudden, it just synthesizes the answer in its totality, completely and comprehensively. And in that moment, you're like, you realize you've been, you've been touched by God. You've received a divine boon of knowledge. Almost immediately, if you're observing yourself, you will notice the voices in your head saying, oh, I'm so glad I thought of that. Or I knew that. I just knew that's what it was. Or I knew that if I thought about it long enough, the answer would come to me. And if you're not on your guard, if you're not observing yourself, and you don't know yourself, and you don't know to be weary of your own mind, of your own ego, wanting to take credit for that moment of insight, before you know what's going on, you're going to be telling people, oh, guess what? I finally figured that out. Remember that problem I told you I was working on? And it was bothering me for months and months and months and months. I finally figured it out. Yeah, I finally know the answer. I finally know what to do. Derwin says, we just have to always remember that we are a servant. We must do the will of our father, uh, Kater. Take no credit for yourself and always be thankful. We won't um, uh, uh, split hairs on on that one. Uh, he says, "What is uh, what import? What's what's important is the work. It's not about me." And that's true. <clears throat> but you see, all of that is all well and good, and we can know that. We can know that intellectually. But it's quite something else when your ego is jumping in and taking the credit where it doesn't belong. If you don't know to watch for that, and, and many people don't, you see, many people don't, and they take credit for it, and then they go and start writing books for example, in the New Age, and they start writing books and start uh, um, creating websites and YouTube pages and TikTok channels and uh, sorry, YouTube channels. <clears throat> and they will, and you can see these people for yourself. You know they exist and how many of them, there are they're too many to count. And they're all healers and this and that, the other thing. And before, before they know what's going on, they start charging money. 
charging money for counseling, start charging money for this, for that, for the other thing. Because like, I'm clairvoyant or I'm a healer or I'm this and I'm that and I, 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 I. No one, none of them comprehends themselves as, as I am a servant. We like this meme a lot because um, number one, we think it's a it's a great song, <laughs> um, and it comes from a. I mean, "Beauty of the Beast" is a wonderful allegory, and how the beast is transformed into a true human being at the end. And Lumiere is a wonderful symbol, right? Three, the candlestick, but the candelabra, but the uh, the Merkababa, three, three lit candles, right? A trinity, a triunity. And he's the one who s sings about being our guest. And uh, he sings these lines. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not, he's not whole without a soul to wait upon. And yeah, this is what's important, as Derwin says. This is what's important. It's the work, and it's about being a servant. And a servant is humble. A servant does their work with humility, and the servant serves their Lord. And the nobility of a servant comes from their Lord. A servant is ennobled by the one who they serve and the service that they perform. A servant in and of themselves is nothing, which is why, you know, which is why we, we, we sing this lyric and why this, you know, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. A servant who's not serving is, what is he? He's nothing. He's not even a servant because he's not serving. <laughs> and it's that line here, unnerving, it's that word. Life is so unnerving. That's that detachment, they're not detachment, that's that separation and that resistance and that hole in our heart. When we're not serving our innermost being, and by extension, all beings, that hole in our heart, that emptiness, people desperately try to fill that. And There is no more enticing and tempting drug to fill that void with than the promise of awakening. In other words, than a false awakening. Because what that person longs for more than anything is to awaken. 
to awaken and make that connection to their innermost to their to their innermost lord and master to serve to receive guidance to receive wisdom to receive the will of the being and to be able to act on the will of the being to be whole to be a servant to do one's life's work that is the only real fulfillment we can get from life but in the absence of that cut off from that life becomes unnerving so the ego is going to give us a reasonably hand-drawn facsimile of awakening. The ego is going to concoct all sorts of experiences and all sorts of tricks and traps and, and diversions and distractions and hypnoses, things to mesmerize us things to consume us, things to, for us to become obsessed with, but obsessed over, and feelings and experiences and sensations and beliefs and ideas around the notion that I am awake. I must be awake. I must be awakening. I had this experience. I had that experience. I feel this way. I feel that way. I know this, I know that. I was told this, I was told that. Yesterday I didn't know this, but today I know this. I must be awakening like a conspiracy theorist. Today I was red-pilled. Wow, because every time you have that, oh my God, your mind blown, right? Oh my God, my mind was blown. I must be enlightened. I must be awakening. Because yesterday I was a sheep and I was asleep, but today I'm red-pilled. And, and on and on and on it goes. But you see, all of this, or shall we say, none of this can fill that void in the heart. None of that has anything to do with actually connecting to the innermost being, because all of that is an ego. And if it's an ego, and if it's in mystic pride, and if it's in beliefs, and if it's in worldviews and concepts and ideologies and, and, and things like feeling good, like the new age is all about feeling good, or the woke crowd, it's all about feeling empowered and feeling powerful. And you'll hear this all the time, too, in the new age, about claiming your power. About claiming your power. And, and connecting with your power. It's all about power. It's all about control, right? Manifesting your desires and controlling outcomes and, and bringing in the dawn of the new golden age and, and, and awakening the world and transforming the world. And all. The new age has no concept of death. It has no, it, it avoids death at all costs. Most people in the new age, when you, when you ask them the question, they will tell you death does not exist. There is no such thing as death. Death is an illusion. To really? Then you, death is an illusion?
Only the ego avoids death. Because death is real. Death is real. Now what happens to us after we die, that's a different question. But death is real. To say that the doorway separating two rooms doesn't exist is stupid, is ignorant. To get from one room to the, to the other room, you must step through the doorway. It's a doorway. It's a portal from one room to the other room. For example, like the door from the inside of the house to the outside. Just because you can move from the inside of the house to the outside of the house doesn't mean that the door doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to open the door and step through the door and that the door is closed behind you when you leave. Or that the door has a lock on it. Or that when you open the door and step through the door, where you end up on the other side of the door depends entirely on what you did on this side of the door. But the door is real. And to, the, to deny that the door exists is stupid, is the utmost in ignorance. It is self-evident. It is self-evident. But the ego doesn't want you, doesn't want to have anything to do with the door. Unless you're so possessed by ego that the ego convinces you to take a high-powered rifle and go into a public place and to introduce a bunch of strangers to the door. Mugaboo22 says, I am a very solution-oriented person, but the answer to my hardest problems have never come from my incessant thinking, but always from intuition or luck. Yeah, well... You can call it you can call it luck if you want, but it's mo most likely a blessing, a boon. For many, many, many people though, it's so tempting when they get those kinds of insights to to because the 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 mind is gonna want to to um, grab hold of those and lay claim to them and take the credit. The ego loves taking the credit because the ego wants to play God. The ego is playing God. So of course, anything that God does in our life, anything the Divine Mother orchestrates for our life, or anything that our innermost God sends to us in terms of a miracle, the ego, of course, is going to take credit for it because the ego is, is playing God, is pretending to be our God. And it wants us to treat our ego like it's God. Right? The ego wants us to worship it. It wants us to idolize ourselves and just look at the world today. Just look at the internet. Just look at TikTok. Look at all those millennials and all those Zoomers with their TikTok channels 
which are channels for self-idolatry. I mean, all of our phones, all of our phones have what? Have a so-called selfie camera on them. They're even called selfies. We are living in the age of self-idolatry, of self-worship. Benjamin Ochoa uh, says, it reminds me of a band named, uh, let's try this again. It reminds me of a band named, a dog named Ego. So it can be said that the Ego is just a dog in disguise using your analogy of the dog with your lessons atlas. But the dog is only a servant. It reminds me of a band named a, a band named a dog named Ego. Okay. It can be said that the ego is just a dog in disguise using your analogy of the dog with your lessons atlas, but the dog is only a servant. Actually, if you if you've read our uh, article and uh, we'll we'll try to pull this up here um okay here. see this article it's called to herd or not to herd and um here's the link it's in the uh, chat there it's in the chat in just one second if we can get to it and there it is on screen okay there's the link and there's the uh the article See this graphic here for the sake of the master? There's the master and there's the dog. We are the dog. The master is our inner shepherd. And we are the sheepdog. And if you've ever herded sheep or herded animals, or if you've ever seen a shepherd work with a sheepdog, it is uh, a wonderful sight. If you're a dog lover, it's a wonderful sight to behold because the shepherd calls to the dog, sends his commands, and the dog, the, the border collie or other uh, sheepdog, is running around and and executing the shepherd's calls he's herding the sheep according to the calls that he's being given by the shepherd this is the relationship between ourselves and our innermost being our innermost shepherd and a dog if you've owned a dog you know the dog is always attentive and watching and waiting and looking at you. Dog is always waiting on your command. That's why they say dog is man's best friend. A dog is like attached. And he's always watching his master. 
and this is especially true of working dogs and it's most true for uh, hunting dogs and herding dogs these are the 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 real working dogs the working breeds the ego benjamin in this analogy our egos are fleas on the dog <laughs> fleas that bite the dog and make the dog irritated irritable cause the dog suffering and what's more uh, fleas and ticks can even give the dog a disease where the dog goes blind or goes deaf the dog can't hear the shepherd anymore a shepherd's calling to the dog but the dog can't hear the shepherd anymore but the dog is angry and the dog is frustrated because all of these fleas are making him itchy and irritable and these diseases are making his mind go crazy and all he knows is what he wants he's hungry he's thirsty he's this he's that he's got it and he's trying to get rid of these fleas but he but but right so this is a better analogy egos have no use to the shepherd fleas are not useful to the shepherd when we talk about egos we're talking about anger fear lust greed all of the many egos we have we're not referring to what in psychology they call the ego which is the self that's not that's not an ego an ego is an I, but the self knows that it's not an I. The self knows that it's a we. Anyway, we don't we don't want to dwell on this uh, too much. If you read that article, Benjamin, that's it makes makes this analogy very clear. Uh, Derwin says of. Uh, what we were speaking of earlier, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. Derwin says, it's spiritual inquietude. I know I'm asleep consciously. Where there is light, there is consciousness. When I close my eyes, I see darkness. Actually, I don't, don't be concerned about that darkness. The darkness is filled with light space right look out in space right we see blackness and we see the pinhole stars in the sky but we don't you know that space is filled with light the space between the sun and the earth it's we may think of it as black but that's it's not black it's filled with light so don't let our, our your three-dimensional subjective viewpoint cloud you from the reality the, the 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 there is light in the darkness or what appears to be darkness there is light in there and that is the secret use for the ego what the why the ego really exists to create a shroud of darkness over our lives over our consciousness why to overcome to find the light in the darkness 
to meditate and comprehend our egos to free the consciousness that's trapped inside. That's light in the darkness, literally in the darkness. That's why we go down into the dungeon, right, to fight the monsters, to fight the demons deep in the dungeon, to recover what? The gold. To recover the treasure. And gold shines with the light of the sun. We're recovering the consciousness that's being hoarded by the, by the monsters, by the demons in the darkness. The darkness is filled with light. And Derwin says, Divine Mother and Father are so merciful. We have been so blessed to have found Gnosis, not by accident. It's not by accident. Nobody comes to Gnosis by accident. But also, nobody comes to Gnosis until they're ready. Or rather, Gnosis doesn't come to any of us until we are ready. Benjamin says, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Gosh. Benjamin says, the scripture describes the current generation in the social media age. And, and we would say to that, yeah, no kidding. They talk about a prophecy. They talk about having foresight and insight. And what's more, look at the um, some of the specific words here. Irreconcilable. What is irreconcilable if not modern-day politics? Right, the radical left and the uh, the conservative the, uh, the 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 conservatives on the right, ungrateful, unholy, disobedient to parents, haters of good, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mean, that's. And then the holding to a form of godliness. Again, like all four of the movements that we talked about today, all false awakenings. Well, what is an awakening? To be conscious of God, to be conscious of one's innermost being, to know oneself, to know one's innermost being, one's highest self, to know God, to have true faith. And to love one's self, to serve oneself. To be a true human being, to be a servant of God. To be a self-realized being, a resurrected master, is to be a living God, an embodiment of God. Like Jesus, like Buddha, like so many others. But what are we offered instead in this contemporary world? We're offered transhumanism. We're offered conspiracy. We're offered woke. And we're offered the new age. Which surely, these are all 
holding out the promise of a form of godliness. Because being a conspiracy theorist, boy, do you feel superior. I know I can speak firsthand experience because I was one. I was one. And being a social justice warrior, boy, do you feel superior. I know because I was one. And being in the new age, and being a new ager, boy, does it make you feel superior. I know because I was one. It's not by accident that these four pillars of the Great Awakening that we're writing about them. And it, what's what all the new agers that we encounter who take so personally everything that we say to them, everything we have to teach them and tell them and share with them about the path that they're on. And they're so offended by. Well, because I know them better than they know themselves. Because I was one of them once. And I know all about what they teach and what they preach and what they've been taught and what they've swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Same with the conspiracy theorists. Same with the woke crowd. I was taught that garbage in university, for heaven's sake. I was an award-winning essayist in university, and I was using postmodernist theory as the foundation for that literate, for that uh, that work on Shakespeare, no less. I'm not coming at any of this from an intellectual point of view, from an intellectual framework. It's all experiential knowledge. I lived all of this. And as for the AI and the technology and the technocracy stuff, I was very much in that camp for the better part of my life as well because I was always uh, a techno geek. I was always fascinated by computers and virtual reality and computer games and and the promise of AI and and uh, you know my favorite characters on Star Trek were uh, Spock and Data. You know Spock on the original series and Data on the Next Generation because of pure logic. Because oh wow, without you know with all these um, you know we won't have to deal with all of these pesky emotions. I was tempted countless times. And by the way, if we want to go even one step further, we could add, you know, obviously we could add a fifth and the sixth category to all of this. The fifth category we could add would be uh, uh, material wealth. And the sixth category we could add would be uh, fame. Uh, and becoming an idol, right? Idolization, idolatry, but to become an idol. Well, guess what? I was tempted by both those as well. But 
neither material wealth nor fame uh, profess awakening or enlightenment. And that's the reason why they're not included in my book and they're not included in today's talk. Because I don't think anybody, even if they are a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever they are, they wouldn't, they don't go around, they might think of themselves smarter than everybody and clever and lucky. And, you know, they might be many, many, many things, but they don't go around for the most part uh, professing enlightenment and professing awakening. Generally speaking, now you have like things like, you know, the Oracle of Wall Street, you know, and, you know, Warren Buffett and these guys. Uh, that's a, but that's a little bit of a different animal. And none of them are saying, oh, come and invest in stocks, come and invest in the stock market. And it's going to open your mind and open your, your, you know, to how the world works and and the, the reality. And see, none of them are professing that. Same thing with fame. No famous person is going around telling, encouraging people to come to Hollywood and become enlightened, right? So they, they're not, um, that's not baked into those worldviews and those philosophies. But it is baked into the transhumanists and the conspiracy theorists and the woke crowd and the new agers. And that's why like the false awakening is what we're talking about here and how tempting that is. And rest assured that in my life, with that deep, deep, deep longing for awakening, which goes all the way back to my childhood when I closed my eyes at the age of you know five or six, and I closed my eyes and I said, there must be something in there and I got to reach it and I got to find it. And that's when I had my first spiritual experience. From that point forward, my entire life became a quest for, for awakening. And for realizing that self that was in there in the darkness. And along the way, all of these different temptations, all of these different movements presented themselves and tempted me with versions of awakening. And each one let me down, along with all of the religions, which I went exploring. All of them let me down in the way that they were being taught, in the way that they were being expressed. And so, you know, it's what they, they tell you, right? You write what you know when it comes down to writing a book. you got to write what you know. So I know these movements from the inside out. I'm not looking at anything from the outside in. I've been there. I've been on that side of the fence. I know how these people think. I know what motivates them. And I know that it's they also are sucked in to those camps and into those ideologies and to those mentalities and worldviews. They're sucked into those cults because they have in within them a deep, deep, deep longing to awaken. And they've, they've fallen hook, line, and sinker for the false awakening that's, that's, that's been professed to them and promised to them. All right, that's... I'm going to stop that rant. But uh, thank you, Benjamin, as always, for 
coming in with such a relevant and timely uh, quotation from the Bible. Thank you. That's, uh, that's great. Benjamin Ocha says, and uh, I do, uh, and I do have an Australian sheepdog. <laughs> She's very attentive. <laughs> and you know all about sheepdogs. Derwin says, light comes from the darkness. Thanks. And it's, um, well, well, we'll not dwell on it right now. We'll, 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 we'll have plenty of opportunity to, uh, to go over that again and again and again. Kamal Manzuki says, it's funny to hear the talk of humble servitude as just a week ago on a new meme exploded onto the scene of schizo spiritual Twitter called humble me babalusa. I am your servant. A new meme exploded on the scene of on the scene of a schizo spiritual Twitter called "Humble Me Babalusa." I am your servant. Okay. We're gonna have to look this up because this is, you know, we don't use Twitter. I am your humble servant. No, that's Benjamin Cello uh, images. Babe, please stop Babalusa. Please stop. Babalusa isn't real. Humble me, Babalusa. I am your servant. Average Twitter doomer. Average Babalusian servant. Okay, Kamal Manzuki. Okay, um, do us a favor. And uh, explain to us what the Babalusa, his name is Babalusa. What? In the prior eon, he was Ab Absolubaba, the vein. Oh, we should put these on screen so you guys can see what we're reading here. Oh, of course, Twitter. Yeah, not now. Oh, uh, that's not. That's not going to work. No, that's not working either, is it? <sighs> Open. Well, we can't do that one. So anyway, if someone can explain to me what this Babalusa thing is supposed to be. If Babalusa had a million humble servants, I'm one of them. If Babalusa had five humble servants, I'm one of them. If Babalusa had one humble servant, that one is me. If Babalusa had no humble servants, I'm no longer alive. If the world is against Babalusa, I'm against the entire world. Till my last breath, I'll support Babalusa. What is Babalusa supposed to be? Is it, is it related to the Tower of Babel? Was there something that I'm missing? Anyway, someone will have to educate me on that because I, I can see the memes. I just don't know what it's trying to be. Humble me. Humble me. Okay, anyway. It is what it is. Moving on. Oh, he says, it started with one guy trying to remember the line from a movie 
But the joke immediately became that some humbling demigod had been channeled and now everyone is trying uh, a line to humble servitude. That's the problem with memes, right? It's like they, they, they make sense to the people who are in on the joke when there's stuff like this, but it's, if it's, it's, it's funny how uh, it's just sort of false idolatry. <laughs> People are running with it. Okay, so Derwin Ward says, yes, we used to read um, Black's Law Dictionary discovered the two birth certificates, sent a blood thumbprint to the Pope to reboot Unam Sanctum. We used to get mad at people, got a visit from the FBI. So yes, we have experienced these things, but glad it happened. Physical doesn't matter. The spiritual does. So this brings us, obviously, to the point that technology and the, the, the promise of transhumanism Clearly, transhumanism is a, as we said, it's an inverted false awakening. But, but, beneath it, beneath it lies what? Lies a deep, deep longing and an intuitive knowledge in immortal life. That there is something beyond the human being, even though this humanity are not real human beings, we're just intellectual hominids, but regardless, there's something beyond this humanity. There's existence that's transhuman existence, transhumanism. What, what is angelic existence? To be an angel, to be a master, to be a cosmo creator, what is that if not transhumanist? It's transhumanist because they were all humans once, all of them. They all had to be. But the ego appropriates the term and they appropriate the, uh, the intuition that there's something beyond humanism. And what do they do? They apply mechanistic, mechanical, digital, technological monstrosities to it. And they hypnotize people and they mesmerize people into believing that the path to transhumanism is through technology. Okay, but that's, but you see the longing is still there. And the, the fundamental underlying uh, archetypal truth of transhumanism in the pure sense, in the metaphysical sense, is real, is a real phenomenon. And it's one that we all aspire to. That's why we're here. That's why we're on the path. This path of service to our innermost being is our innermost beings longing to self-realize, actualize, and achieve mastery, achieve existence, which is transhuman. An existence where they, they no longer have to return lifetime after lifetime after lifetime in accordance with karma. They can choose to reincarnate, to come and do a great work, and if they, if they earn enough credits, then they might have the ability, the possibility in the next Mahamambantara 
to be reborn, to reincarnate a cosmo creator as a, as a, as a moon or as a planet that's definitely trans-human. Likewise, to be red-pilled. Now, the conspiracy theorists, they uh, absconded that allegory, that, that symbology from the Matrix, and they adopted the Matrix, which the Matrix is all about uh, uh, awakening and the AIs being the, the egos that are enslaving humanity, and the Matrix is our own mind. But the conspiracy theorists... Of course, because it's the Black Lodge behind it all, they took that and they twisted and they corrupted the Matrix trilogy itself, and that modern mythology got got uh, edited in its interpretation to mean the world out there and the evil cabal that's uh, enslaving humanity. But being red pilled to be red pilled, and to know the truth. The longing for the truth and the longing to unveil the hidden truth. What is that if not the deep, deep, deep longing for gnosis? That's the longing for knowledge, for hidden knowledge, esoteric knowledge. The forbidden knowledge, the knowledge that only the privileged few know that's hidden, that's obscured by all of these, you know, all of these stories, all these narratives. And the longing to unearth that and the thrill, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the energy, the effort that one puts into unearthing the truth. Now you can see how the conspiracy becomes a, 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 an obsession, but behind that obsession is is a is a deep, deep intuitive truth and a deep longing of the being. That's what the ego is exploiting. But you see, it can also be then a stepping stone, like the transhumanist can be a stepping stone. Likewise, woke. Now, what is woke? The desire for justice. The desire to end people's suffering. Well, when we pray in Gnosis, we say to, to bring about the end of suffering for the sake of the end of suffering of all beings. Every social justice warrior holds in their heart in the atom noose of their heart, this longing, this truth, this 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 absolute longing of the being to 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 act in the world for the sake of the end of suffering of all beings. That that longing gets exploited, co-opted, coerced, twisted, and corrupted by the egos and by the woke narrative. That's another matter. But the kernel of truth at the center of all of that, this is why they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, because the intention is good. 
the result is communism. The system which eradicated, murdered 100 million people in the 20th century. And at its core was the spark of well-intentioned, well-meaning, bringing about the end of suffering for all beings. Well, how did, they, how did they do that? Well, in practice, they did that by eradicating 100 million uh, people standing in their way. But, as I can attest to personally, it can be a stepping stone. Because if someone is more conscious and more aware, and they don't allow themselves to be completely brainwashed if they stay present and aware but frankly i mean i'll be honest with you there but for the grace of god go i i could be right now a woke politician somewhere right who knows maybe i could be in trudeau's cabinet or god only knows or a woke uh, um, actor or director or producer in Hollywood pumping out woke propaganda films. There but for the grace of God go I, because I was one of them and I went to university for English and drama and I was, I was, uh, it, all of this woke ideology was impressed upon me post-colonial uh post-colonialism uh feminism uh, critical race theory critical theory in general uh all the postmodernism Jacques Derrida Michel Foucault all of it all of it but for me it was kind of, it was a stepping stone it was like I you know you go into the belly of the beast right you go down into hell And in the process of doing that, I had the opportunity to slay some demons, which I, I discovered a lot about myself. But I was able to return. But many don't return. Many get caught up in and they get stuck down there. Like I said, these things are very sticky. They're like spider's webs. They're not, they're not designed to be escaped from. No cult is. No belief system, no ideology is designed to escape from. And finally, we had the New Age, and that was the most recent one that I had gotten myself into. And, and frankly, um, it, my experience with the New Age was it, was it was helpful. Wayne Dyer was helpful to me, honestly, because I was in a very, very, very dark place when I was suffering from the epilepsy. And I, you know, and this was, this was before I had reached the point where I had surrendered to my innermost being. And I was fumbling through the medical system and fumbling through, you know, trying to, and I was, you know, suffering seizures and, and it was just this nightmare. I was in hell. I was in hell. And I turned to the new age and this positive thinking and how to deal with suffering and how to deal with, you know, and, and how to, and so uh, Wayne Dyer and his, uh, his podcasts uh, and his recordings from him from the sixties and seventies, even or seventies and eighties um about you know when he wrote his book your erroneous zones and thinking positively and all that stuff so there was something about that message that i really needed to hear at that time in my life 
And it was a stepping stone, but the pro- it was a stepping stone, but I always knew it was a stepping stone because the answers that I really sought, the knowledge that I really wanted to know, I wasn't getting from any of these people. It didn't matter where I turned in the new age. I, I Every door that I knocked on in the new age, it was like, it was, no, it's just rhetoric you're giving me. It's just the same old rhetoric. Give me the substance. I want the substance. I want to really know. Give me the keys to the kingdom. Don't just give me, don't just, you know, talk about what you imagine the gardens to be like. I'm looking for the keys to the kingdom. And then finally, finally, uh, Gnosis came into my life. But in every turn, each one of these walls offered, promised that to to fill the void in my heart, that longing in my heart for the answers. And they held out a promise, and and in each each time, each turn, it was a I I. Again, by the grace of God, there but there but for the grace of God go I. It was only because of the guidance of my innermost being that I realized that it was all it was just a it was just a false promise. It was a false bill of goods. It was a false awakening that they were it was promising me. And so I <laughs> to use that door analogy, I walked through the door. And I closed the door behind me and I went on to the next thing. And then walked through, closed the door behind me and I went on the next thing. And I knew, I realized now in, the, in this talk that I'm giving and in the book that we're writing, why my journey had to go through all of these different facets and go through materialism and go through business and go through acting and, you know, theater and all of that stuff. And even at a younger age, going through science, materialist science. Because in truth, in one way, shape or form in my life, I have stepped foot in almost every conceivable area of human activity, of human endeavor. At some point in my life, I have stepped foot and mingled with, in some meaningful way, I have done, I have experienced so many different verticals It's like in the search for truth, I've knocked on so many different doors and walked into so many different houses and walked out of each and every one with holding nothing in my hand but the gauntlet, accepting the challenge to keep searching for the Holy Grail. But my quest took me into all of these areas and many of these areas, again, as I'm describing today, 
were areas of tremendous danger, of tremendous temptation. But as tempting as they were, they were dangling carrots. They weren't dangling the keys. And it wasn't a carrot that I was after. I'm no donkey. I'm not an ass. Despite what some of you might think of my personality, I am no ass. So dangling a carrot will not work. It was the keys, the keys that we sought. Because it's the keys that this humanity needs. And we always knew of ourselves the most strongest impulse that we've had since childhood is that we are here for the sake of the end of suffering for all beings. And to that, we needed the keys to unlock the heart of hearts of humanity and to unlock the heart of hearts within ourselves to open the floodgates so that the love and the knowledge and the truth could flow through us into the world to others and also the keys to unlock the shackles which keep this humanity bound behind the gates of hell shackled and bound in a prison with no walls and no fences and no guard towers and no guards a prison for their mind the matrix and now we have the keys and hopefully with this book and with our own direct personal experience a very personal uh recounting and personal telling of our journey journey through these metaphysical walls that are encroaching and slowly closing in on on humanity to show people a path out and to show them like the emperor has no clothes to show them what real awakening looks like and what real awakening affords us Benjamin says, I believe it has a thing with rhetoric. Derwin uh, says, seek, knock, ask, finally found it. Gnosis. And he's so grateful. It was the same for me. Went looking for truth. It's, it's, um, seek and you shall find. Seek and you shall find. We will not be left out in the cold and we will not be left in the dark keep seeking until you know we we arrive on that on the threshold on the doorstep and then we we know that we've arrived we know that we've arrived whereas everything before as enticing as it was as whiz-bang attractive you know whatever trendy 
because a lot of the stuff is very trendy. And a lot of the stuff is has like as we said, has community around it. So if you've always felt alone and a loner and never fitting in anywhere, well, whether it's the a, whether it's the AI community or the conspiracy community or the woke community or the new age community, they're they're waiting with open arms to receive another another initiate to be indoctrinated and to be molded into their image. So that search for truth, I mean, that's a, a lot of people are looking for that. So all of these different movements that are so active on this humanity right now, we can see how clever, how diabolically ingenious the Black Lodge is in creating these secular, you know, uh, atheists or, or rather, at the very least, non-religious cults, these non-religious, these secular cults that feed and exploit the longing of the soul, the longing of the, the being in the quest for truth and the quest for self-knowledge and awakening and self-realization. It's worthwhile contemplating, meditating, and also we hope in recognizing the importance of our work. Because, you know, when you take these four categories and how many people are entrapped. And that, you know, and we're not even talking about uh, the people who are entrapped to, you know, religious belief. But the thing about religious belief is that People tend to be indoctrinated into that at a very young age. And religious beliefs are sacrosanct. They're, 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 we can't go around attacking people's religious beliefs. One can't do, can't do that. But these secular belief systems... The secular belief system, there's nothing sacrosanct about that. Nobody can, can, um, can call a critique of secular ideology. No one can call a critique of secular ideology hate speech. And we're not Critiquing anything, all we need to do is unveil and show what we've been talking about today is how the awakening that they promise is a false awakening. So if it's a false awakening, what else is false about them? If it's not a real awakening, then, then if 
if it's a false awakening and you don't have access to truth, objective truth, but all just subjective truth, just my truths, not the truth, then where's the value in it? Other than a divisive of enslavement, a prison for your mind, more beliefs. But that's what in hell is with humanity. That's the hell that humanity is in. And, um, well, hundred and forty-four thousand. No, no, it's not the. It's not hundred and forty-four thousand uh, who will not be saved. It's hundred and forty-four thousand will be saved. And yes, you're right. One plus four plus four equals nine. You saw it. It's all those who are working intelligently in the ninth sphere. And yes, we must ascend in order to ascend. That's also covered in our book because we talk about the alm of life and we don't we didn't cover it in today's lecture, but we have other live streams and other videos that we talk about the alm of life, the spiral nature. Right? You must descend in order before you can ascend. And in each revolution, before you can reach the next higher level, you must go to the next lower level. That's Jacob's ladder. That's the spiral nature of uh, evolution and devolution. Upward and downward spirals. But that's... We'll get into that another time. But we're want to thank you for the opportunity to have this live stream with you today because frankly um some of what we said today was the first time that we ever said it and it gives us a whole different uh complexion to the book that we're writing a very personal connection to the book that we're writing and there has been something that's been standing in the way of of us completing the book and what's been standing in the way was the peace that was filled in in today's live stream and that's that the realization that the reason that we are able to write this book at all is because we have experience in all those areas that we walk through it, that we were tempted ourselves by these false awakenings. Oh, <laughs> what just comes to mind because we said that there was, there were areas of movement in each of these areas. Um, something that we wanted to mention was if you're familiar with who Tucker Carlson is Fox News is number one personality number one host on the Fox News network well Fox fired him and there's this whole narrative going on in the uh, in the world of the internet right now about speculation as to why fox fired him 
And of course, one of the obvious reasons is that because recently he had Elon Musk on and he had other, he had uh, Graham Hancock and, uh, and uh, Randall Carlson on and, and that, and that the powers that be who own all of the networks, uh, that Rupert Murdoch gave the order to Rupert Murdoch to, uh, to, uh, fire Tucker Carlson because he's, um, he's, he was starting to reveal truths through Fox news with that, which they don't want out there, right. That they want to keep suppressed. But if you've read our article on the conspiracy of conspiracies, you know that the Black Lodge controls both sides of all conspiracies. And so we would not be surprised if Tucker Carlson um, re-emerges on someplace like Rumble or Spotify or some other platform, and and he becomes the de facto voice of the counterculture and the anti-establishment voice of news and that Tucker Carlson becomes the mainstream voice for conspiracy. If it happens, you heard it here first, but make no mistake, everything that Tucker Carlson is going to be talking about is going to be the counter narrative. It's going to be the controlled opposition to the dominant mainstream narrative. Because again, the black lodge doesn't care which side you pick. As long as it has you in one of its in, in one of its two two controlling sides, so um, there was that aspect. Uh, the other aspect was on the front of uh, artificial intelligence. Um, some companies have now uh gone and uh uh yes derwin divide and conquer absolutely that's that's the modus operandi of the ego itself and just observe yourself right the ego only gives you two options yes or no black or white this or that right the ego divides and conquers in fact the word gnosis only has an antithesis by way of two words, hypnosis and ignorance. Gnosis can only be conquered by dividing it into two words, hypnosis and ignorance. And the ego will pit hypnosis against ignorance. And the ego doesn't care if you end up hypnotized or end up ignorant. Because either way, you won't you will no longer be a gnosis. We can share this with you from our book. We do a um, esoteric analysis of Humpty Dumpty. You might say, what the hell does Humpty Dumpty have to do with anything? Well, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. And if you use your conscious imagination and you put yourself on a wall and you're Humpty Dumpty, which means you're an egg, you're whole, but you're not born yet. 
You are in development. You're not awake. You may be awakening. An egg is not yet hatched. It's in the process of slowly hatching, right? It's developing. It's an egg. Humpty Dumpty on a wall. So when you sit on a wall, use your conscious imagination. What do you see when you sit on a wall? You see both sides of the wall. You see both sides equally from your superior vantage point atop the wall. Right? You're on, the, you're on top of the wall. You have a superior vantage point on both sides of the wall. And you are whole and complete. You are comprehensive. You are Humpty Dumpty. So Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, but Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. When you fall from a wall, how do you fall? How can you fall? In other words, when you fall from a wall, where are you after you fall? If you were here and you fall from a wall, you either fall this side or you fall that side. Now, using your conscious imagination, you've fallen from the wall. Now what can you see? You see your side. Can you see the other side? No. Why? Because the wall. You can't see through the wall. You've fallen. You've fallen asleep. You've fallen into duality. Into the duality of the ego. Me or you. Us or them. White or black. National or immigrant. There's a million of them. Me or us and other. And what's on the other side of the wall? We don't know what's on the other side of the wall. We fear what we do not understand. We fear what we do not know. What's on the other side of that wall? So Humpty Dumpty, who's whole and comprehensive and complete, and can see both sides of the wall, he falls and he can, he can only see one side of the wall. And he's fractured. He's shattered. And all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put Humpty Dumpty together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men all hold a piece of Humpty Dumpty, but they can't put him back together again. The king's horses and the king's men, the king's men are the intellectuals. They, they think, right? Men can think. That's all the beliefs and the ideas and the intellectuals. They all hold a piece of Humpty Dumpty. And the horses, that's the animal self. The horses are the animals, the desires, the primal instincts. And they also all have a piece of Humpty Dumpty. And they're all trying. And they're all the kings. Why are they the kings? Because they're all serving the throne. How do you serve the throne? You serve from the throne. So they're all aspiring to sit on the throne. 
They're all playing their game of thrones, right? They all want to ascend the throne. And their game of succession, every time one of the king's horses or one of the king's men ascends the iron throne with a fragment of Humpty Dumpty, they announce their succession with I. I want this. I don't want that. I believe this. I believe that. I am this. I am not that. That throne, you can only ascend the throne if you have consciousness. And they all have a piece of Humpty Dumpty. And that's why the king's horses and king's men can never put Humpty Dumpty together again because none will ever relinquish their little fragment of consciousness that they have. It puts divide and conquer into a whole different new light, Humpty Dumpty does. And the true meaning, the esoteric meaning of Humpty Dumpty is what happens to all of us when we fall asleep. Because to fall on the wall means to fall asleep. So awakening, awakening must be the reversal of that fall to get back onto the wall whole, comprehensive, to restore the consciousness to a position where it can see both sides. It's no longer caught in duality. It's no longer caught in the dichotomy. That's why the Master Samael has a book called The Revolution of the Dialectic. And that's why he has a book called Revolutionary Psychology, where we have to eliminate all the king's horses and all the king's men. Because only if we eliminate all the mental activity and all the primal animal egos that are holding on to their piece of Humpty Dumpty, the piece of our consciousness, only by eliminating them can we free those bits of consciousness and then our Divine Mother can do her restorative work of healing and put those fragments of Humpty Dumpty back together. Because what's inside of Humpty Dumpty, if not the seed, the essence of our innermost being, and it is our Divine Mother who is the one responsible for the ability for our innermost being to hatch, to be born, for us to be born of the waters and the spirit. All of that is in Humpty Dumpty. And that explanation is also going to be in our book. So, We, uh, we realized after this week and after today that we're going to have to give ourselves some more time for this book because um, this piece that was missing 
this personal emotional aspect um, that will make it more accessible for the reader and more the reader will need to have an ability to connect with not only the contents of the book but also the writer of the book and um and live vicariously through our experience and if they know that we've experienced it and we can write it from the perspective of what they are going through and we can show that we understand and comprehend where they're coming from and what the longing the deep longing within them for truth and knowledge and self-actualization and that that is what has led them to each one of these areas then um, we are in a better position to earn their trust and um and uh we our book may may end up being more successful from the standpoint of communicating and reaching and connecting with their innermost making a conscious connection to them through the book so we want to thank you again for today because this realization this revelation came to us through this experience of speaking to you all and taking that leap in that moment to say you know let's on a personal note i want you guys to all know that we're not we're not coming from i'm not saying all this because i read it on the on online because i've been observing conspiracy theorists at arm's length and because i'm taking an outsider's intellectual judgmental uh thing about conspiracy theorists or woke people or any of this stuff for that no i was one of them i'm speaking from first-hand experience and and that that to be honest with you lifts a weight a burden off of our shoulders to say that because we no longer have to convince anybody of anything all we got to do is just tell them what we know and show them and show them what what we went through and why we went through it and where we're at now and hopefully They'll be like, oh, so there's something more. There's something beyond. You mean there's something beyond transhumanism? There's something beyond woke. There's something better than new age. There's something better than conspiracy. There's some there's deeper knowledge. That there's that 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 conspiracy is just the surface level. That, that, that this conspiracy is really just a distraction that's keeping us from the real conspiracy. I say, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. So Listen, thank you all very much for uh, being here and, uh, and hearing us out. Um, if, if you have any other comments or questions, please make them now because we're at the three-hour mark and we think we'll, we'll call it a day if that's all right with everyone. We'll give you guys a, a second or two. 
say a minute or two. What else was uh, happening this week? No, I guess uh, nothing comes to mind. So, no, no more comments, no questions, no. We'll give you another 30 seconds and then. If there's no more comments or questions, then we'll... we'll uh... Oh, Mugaboo says, Some say the goal of meditation is to make life a walking meditation, being observant at all times. What are your thoughts? Is this even possible? Uh, yes, but that's not the goal of meditation. That's called self-observation. The goal of meditation is to receive information. What you're describing there, what most people talk about this waking meditation stuff. And they say, I don't have to meditate. I meditate all day. What they're really saying is they observe. They're mindful. They're observing themselves. But that's not the goal of meditation. It's the reverse. Self-observation, mindfulness, is what prepares you for meditation. Well, the two things contribute to one another. But meditation, what we want in meditation is to receive information. And then, of course, as you progress, these two things, one after another, after another, after another. So, for example, as today, you witnessed us giving this live stream, giving this talk. And in the process, we were obviously observing ourselves. And we found ourselves saying things that we had never said and that we had never typed down into our book. And then we've admitted to you, we've confessed to you that this is this is the key thing that's been missing from our book and what's been preventing us from finishing the book. Now, how are we able how are we able to know that? Only because we received that in what because I'm not we're not meditating, are we? We're not meditating. But we're in constant self-observation. And we're constantly transforming the impressions that we're observing. And as we could hear ourselves describing our experience in this and our experience in this and our experience in this and our experience in this. And oh my, then the light came on. Yeah, we're, we're writing this book out of experience. Well, why aren't we telling our reader that? Why haven't we made this? Why aren't we making this an autobiography? Or at least why are we not including autobiographical elements in all of this? But meditation is practicing the ability to receive information from our higher self, from the meta mind of being. So that when we are practicing self observation throughout the day, 
we can receive signs and symbols and from all around us because as we're transforming impressions the interpretation of those impressions shouldn't be done in our rational mind it should be done by our innermost being and the truth of our experience or the 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 hidden truth or the hidden me- hidden meaning of our experience the significance of our experience comes from our innermost so that faculty we develop that in meditation and then self-observation and self-awareness mindfulness that faculty we develop by practicing it by practicing mindfulness the two things are related but it's not it's not as simple as uh those those people are trying to explain it to you and describe it as it's not it's not like that it's more fluid and it's more comprehensive and when you experience your experience of it is much more voluptuous than oh the purpose of meditation is so that you can be in a meditative state all the time that's too superficial an analysis that's a very trite mechanical superficial analysis and you will never get there if you get stuck in thinking about it in those ways and remember also discernment right discernment the ability to discern what is coming from mind and what is coming from being what is coming from ego and what is coming from self right that's important and that also we develop that capacity in meditation because in meditation it's very clear because we're trying to right it's it's in meditation is that that exercise that arena where the mind is is deliberately trying to you know create noise and everything else so we develop that capacity for discernment when we receive information in meditation we we get a taste a flavor of how different it is from when the 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 ego mind spits something up versus when we get something from our innermost being it has a a quality to it that we can discern and that also we learn in meditation and then in self observation and transformation of impressions we experience it and we we learn more and we develop the capacity to use our discernment through our daily life when we're surrounded by distractions and noise and everything else. Benjamin says, now that Humpty Dumpty has fallen, which includes us, we need to take a side, right? No, no, you need to get back on that wall. We need to we need to become whole again and get back on that wall. When we talk about when you talk about taking a side here, right? Right? We need to be comprehensive. We need to be able to see both sides. Because there's both sides to every question. There's two sides to every question. Even to this question of ego. But the wall separates us and it blinds us to the other side. So we end up with what we believe about the other side and what we think about the other side. And what we fear about the other side 
Whereas before, when we were on the wall and we could see both sides equally, we had no fear, we had no doubt, and we had no beliefs or ideas because we could see objectively from above. We had a bird's eye view. The expression is, be in it, but not of it. So remember, we're fallen, Humpty Dumpty is fallen, but not all of us is fallen. Our innermost being is not fallen. Our innermost being is still up there on the wall. So if we can regain our connection to our innermost being, we can gain new perspective. We can know through the third eye what we cannot see through these two eyes. That's why it's the third eye, because it's higher. It's up on that wall. It has a holistic view. Whereas these two eyes are, are, are limited in what they can see, and they're limited in their perception. <clears throat> Derwin, uh, you're most welcome, and thank you for being here. And inverential peace to you, brother. Derwin or sister, we're not sure. Is Derwin a, a, a male or female name? I'm, I'm uh, right now. I just uh, could be both. Mugaboo says very clear. Thank you, Atlas. You're very welcome, Mugaboo. Any other questions or comments before we uh, call it a day here? And we escape our trash compactor. Yeah, there's a there's a there's the hatch. There's the hatch to escape. <laughs> Benjamin says, thank you for sharing your knowledge. You're always more than welcome, Benjamin. Thank you for chiming in with that uh, brilliant quote from the Bible. It was very apropos to our topic today. We're gonna, we're, we're probably gonna steal this and use this in our book somewhere. But um, or we might anyway, because it's we'll see, we'll see. It's appropriate for this live stream. I'm not sure if it's uh, appropriate for the book, for the tone of the book, but we'll, we'll, we're definitely gonna, gonna, going to uh, keep it on top of our mind. All right. Um, anyone else? Any more comments or uh, questions? And then... If not, uh, we want to thank all of you for joining us, as always. Have a wonderful week, and uh, hopefully you can join us again next week. And as always, we will post a reminder <clears throat> on Saturday, and the topic will be announced then, because as usual, as in this case, the topic is always, for us, it's always in the last minute. We never know. We never plan for these things uh, in advance, with the exception of, last week that the topic was given to us the week before by you guys. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Derwin says, should we transform impressions in the moment? Uh, yes, but that's not the same thing as meditating on them later in meditation. So the transformation of impression is simply a conscious digestion of the impression in the moment. So you don't want 
your impressions, your experience to be digested by your egos. You want to digest them consciously, which means digesting the egos themselves that are trying to digest the impressions, if that makes any sense. So a thought arises in your mind or an emotion or sensation arises. And you say, okay, wonder where that came from. If you, if you know where it came from, if you can identify where it came from, it's not that you're identifying with it, you're identifying its source. You're not identifying with the ego, but you can say, okay, that's pride or that's fear or that's lust or that's shame or that's whatever, right? Or that's gluttony or that's, right? You can just, you, you, you just are consciously aware of the thoughts, emotions, and sensations, where they're coming from and what's causing them. In the event that you don't know what's causing them, you just make note of that. And you say, ooh, I wonder where that's coming from. But the point is you don't identify with it and don't you don't transformation of impressions from a linguistic point of view. You never say, I am hungry, I am thirsty, I am depressed, I'm so angry. Or I'm so ashamed. You never say that. Why? Because it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie that your false self, that your ego wants, wants you to believe. That's why all of those, that's, as we said, every time an ego ascends the throne, ascends the iron throne, it announces its succession with I am or I want. So when you feel anger, you say, I feel angry. I feel depressed. I feel ashamed. That is the truth. No one's telling you to suppress anything here. Don't suppress your anger. Don't, don't suppress your shame. Just don't identify with it. You feel ashamed. That's a fact. That's a that's a verifiable objective fact. You feel ashamed. So say that. I feel ashamed. But don't say I am ashamed. Because when you say I am ashamed, you're saying I am shame. But the only thing you really are is I am that I am. Aheye asher aheye. And I am is a magical spell so don't reinforce the lie transform the impression and speak the truth ah i feel lustful you don't have to be ashamed of that you don't have to you don't have to you know deny that it's the truth i've i felt lustful i there's a beautiful woman and i looked at her and i felt lust for her but in the moment that you recognize that and you comprehend that, in the moment, you've transformed the impression. You've recognized that that was lust working through me. Now, if I'm smart in that moment, I will remember my divine mother and the, the lust will melt away. I will look at that woman and say, I feel lust for this woman. I'm looking at this woman in a lustful way. Instead, I'm going to look at her as my sister. I'm going to look at her as my mother. I'm going to look at her as an expression of the Divine Mother. And now I've transformed the impression.
because you can't be lustful towards your divine mother. You can't. It's impossible. Just don't say, oh, I am so lustful. Don't do that because that's a lie and you don't want to reinforce lies. You don't want to reinforce uh, a, a neuro-linguistic program which is, which is adding to the hypnosis and ignorance, which is adding to the matrix. And it, it, it really is from, a, from a, again, from that level of neuro-linguistic programming, that's the difference between saying I am and I, I feel. I'm experiencing versus I am. Benjamin says, it was a tough one today. Thank you. Was it? We didn't, we didn't mean to make it so, but, uh, but hopefully it was a, a tough one, but a good one. Any more uh, questions or comments? Anyone um, have anything else to add before we uh, say goodbye for the week? Kamal Manzuki says, I didn't really have much to add today, but was glad listening along. Well, we're always, we're glad to have you here, Kamal Manzuki. You're always a welcome addition and uh, there's no one is ever obligated <laughs> to make a contribution, but you did make a contribution. So, so uh sometimes what was it Lao Tzu said there's a time there's a time to be energized there's a time to be um there's a time to feel uh exhausted there's a time for exhaustion there's a time to contribute and there's a time to listen right and there's that was it the song uh is it the birds that sing to, for every season there's a time for everything under heaven and I guess that's that's from a that's from the Bible, isn't it? Benjamin uh, Raphael can tell me that if that the the lyrics for that song come from the Bible. I think they do. They come from the, the Old Testament, I think, or maybe the New Testament. Who knows? Uh, clearly, I don't know this kind of stuff, so I, I'll 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 shut up about that. But there's a time. There is a time for everything. So there is a time to listen. Believe me, even I sometimes just listen. If you can believe that, I know it's hard to believe. But uh, <laughs> Benjamin says, yes, it's from the Old Testament. So there you go. Lao Tzu said it, the Old Testament said it, and the birds sang it. So that's for the birds. And uh, Kamal Manzuki says, believe so, yes. Um, any other questions or comments before we uh, call it a day then? Last call. We'll give you guys uh, 30 seconds more. <laughs> It's a strange thing. I never just want to like cut it off like that without giving you guys an opportunity to say goodbye or whatever because it feels rude. So, um, but listen, thank you again for joining us. And again, hope we will uh, see you next week. And as always, and until then, 
inverential peace. Take care, everyone.